Today I thought it would be a blessing to set our eyes and our minds upon God in Psalm 121, if you turn there uh, in your Bibles with me. I want to read the whole psalm to you, church, and uh, my prayer is that these words will wash over your heart, that they'll really encourage you today, because we live in a time where we need to, as believers, discipline our minds to focus them upon God, to center them upon the Lord. There are so many things that are vying for our attention, so many things that can frustrate us and get us upset, but listen, in the years and in the decades to come, we're going to have to be a people who know how to fixate our minds upon God and get our help directly from God, uh, together as a community, but also as individuals. And this psalm helps us with that quest. It helps us turn our attention to God, getting our help and our strength directly from him. You know, believers are called to be people of prayer, for instance, dependent upon God. Believers are called to be a people of worship, for instance, praising and crying out to God. Uh, people are, believers are to be a people who are defined by God, that we look into his word to see what he says about us and the world that we live in, what the truth is. So we are a God-centered people. And sometimes when chaos abounds, uh, we cease to remember God and we get our focus elsewhere. So today, let's together in this psalm, remember God together. Psalm 121, if you'd read along with me. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord, verse 7, will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, the question that I want to ask with this psalm is very simple. It's the question that's found in verse 1. From where does my help come? Or from where does our help come? And of course, the song shows us that our help comes from God. And that's the first point that I want to share with you today. Number one, God is your help. Number one, God is your help. Look again at verse one and two with me, brothers and sisters. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. <clears throat> now, this song, as many of us know, is one of the ancient songs of ascents. This means that ancient Israel, when they went to Jerusalem three times each year to worship God, they would sing th these songs, 15 of them right here in the middle of the book of Psalms. And Psalm 121 was one of these songs 
of ascents. Worshippers sang these songs as they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for worship. So by the way, throughout the teaching, if I say the word pilgrim or talk about a pilgrimage, uh, I'm not talking about uh, the pilgrims who celebrated the first Thanksgiving or something like that. I'm talking about the ancient worshipers in, in Israel and the way that they went on pilgrimage three times each year to worship God in his holy city. And this pilgrim or this worshiper singing this song started out his song with a question, from where does my help come from? You know, he prepared for this journey over all these hills to get to the ultimate hill, the hill of Jerusalem. And he wanted to know, how am I going to get there? Who is going to help me on this quest? From where does my help come from? And of course, like I've been saying, the psalm tells us that God is the one who gives the pilgrim his help. God is the one who gives us help in our pilgrimage or our journey in Christ today. And we have to know that today. We have to know that God is our help on this disciple life. You see, here's the secret in one sense to this whole psalm. It's the person who's obeying God, following his word, going to Jerusalem to worship him. It's the ancient, obedient disciple who is going to receive God as their help on that quest. There were some Israelites who chose to stay home, who chose to ignore God's word, and God's help was not active for them. You see, today, if you choose to live the disciple life, you choose to abide by the book, you choose to be a follower of Jesus rather than a follower of society and culture, you choose to be allegiant to him, you will experience God helping you in that quest. You see, sometimes we fear the disciple life. We fear that we cannot get the disciple life done, that it's too daunting for us. But when we embark on the journey, we discover God's power intertwining with our mortal bodies and strengthening us for the disciple life at hand. Now, in asking the question, notice there in verse 1 that the pilgrim <clears throat> lifts his eyes to the hills. Now, on one hand, when he does that, it might just be a way for the pilgrim to be saying something along the lines of, wow, I've got to make it over those hills. This is going to be a treacherous journey. And how am I going to get help to get over those hills? And I'm sure many of you sitting and watching or listening today have that same feeling about various trials and difficulties that have come into your life this year. I just so happened in my quiet time this morning to start the book of James. Count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various kinds of trials, when you meet various kinds of trials. And I just wrote down in my journal, Lord, meeting trials. I've met many this year, various kinds of trials Oh, all different sorts of trials have come our way this calendar year. So maybe the pilgrim is just saying, the hills are tough, how can I get 
over them. But there's a good chance that the pilgrim, when he looked to the hills, saw something more than just a challenge, but that he actually saw the ancient temptation towards idolatry. You see, Israel, as a people in the Old Testament era, constantly battled a temptation towards idolatry. And when they gave in to their temptation towards idolatry, you know what they did? They went up into the hills under the trees and offered sacrifices to false gods. They did perverse things in the hills away from the vision of civilization to go worship the gods that they had made with their own hands. In fact, Ezekiel one day described a righteous life like this. Ezekiel 18, verse 6, he said, The righteous person does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. That's the idea, perhaps, of this psalm. How am I going to make it? Where am I going to get my help? I lift up my eyes to the hills and I realize that there is no God out there that can help me. There is no idol out there that can help me. There is no ideology out there that can help me. God is my help. God is the one who can enable me. And he backs this up in verse 2 by saying, the Lord who made heaven and earth. That was a direct contrast to all the idols who did not, of course, make anything but were made with human hands or made by human industry. It seems our pilgrim has come to the place of recognition My help comes from God. The idols and every other source, they cannot be my help. God helps me. So our pilgrim here recognizes his need for help in pilgrimage, but also simultaneously as he reveals or understands that his help comes from God, he understands as well that there are limitations in all other forms of aid. No one else, nothing else can help him like God can. Now this is important because as I've said, too many people have left the disciple life because they think that the help must be produced from within or they've looked to other sources to help them endure. But we must turn to God. You see, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. The mystery, Paul said, is this in Colossians 1, 26 and 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the triune God is working within his people to help us in this pilgrim slash disciple life. We're not asked to travel alone. We're not asked to endure by ourselves. God wants to be your help. There's an early episode in the life of David that I think typifies this beautifully. You know, he had become very popular very quickly while Saul was the king of Israel because David had slain Goliath. And all of Israel heard about this young man. He was a great warrior and won great victories for God's people, uh, freeing them from their oppressors. 
And Saul, who was the sitting king, grew insanely jealous over David. And even though David was now in his family, married to his daughter, and even though Saul's son, Jonathan, had adopted David as his best friend, Saul's jealousy raged. And one night he planned David's death. And God delivered David in some powerful ways. First of all, Jonathan, his friend, went and talked to Saul and tried to calm him down. Secondly, David's wife actually disguised the bed to make it look like David was there, buying him time so that he could escape when the captors came to their house. David's first move was to run to Samuel, his spiritual leader, and get advice and protection. But finally, all of that failed, and Saul found David. And when Saul approached David, along with all of his military men, all of his military men, plus Saul, were struck by the Spirit of God, and they began to prophesy. They weren't going to harm David. They were actually speaking blessings about David. It's a surreal moment in David's life. And in that story, he was protected by God himself. Yeah, a friend helped him. Yes, a spouse helped him. Yes, a spiritual leader helped him. But at the end of the day, behind all of those people, God was helping him. You see, you must remember, brothers and sisters, in times of difficulty and chaos, though God might use people in your life, though he might use friends, though he might use a spouse, though he might use a spiritual leader, the reality is that behind all of those people is God. God, who is our source. God, who is our protection. Do not forget this in the age and in the time that we are in. God is our help. But there's a second thing I want you to see from this psalm. Number two, God tirelessly works for you. Number two, God tirelessly works for you. Let's read verse three and four together again. It says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, now I'll, I'll admit to you there's a shift that happens in the song at this point. Uh, not in content. The message is still that God is our help, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But the author or the singer shifts at this point. No longer is the pilgrim or the worshiper crying out, but now a new singer enters into the, the song. And, and the song doesn't tell us who this new voice is, but it's possible that this part of the song was actually sung by the religious leaders, the priests in Jerusalem, singing to the oncoming pilgrims or worshipers as they approach, letting them know, God will not let your foot be moved. God does not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep, is what these priests are singing to the congregation. These are encouraging words, aren't they, brothers and sisters? And this just reminds me, as an aside, that we've got to have voices like these in our lives, and we need to be 
voices like these for others. You know, that's part of what I'm trying to do this morning. I'm trying to be a voice in your life that lets you know God's not asleep. God will protect you. God will defend you as you walk the narrow path, the difficult way. God is with you. We've got to be those voices for each other because we need that encouragement all the time. And in this part of the song, uh, this priest, if that's who it is, says, look, God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never rests in his efforts towards his people. He keeps Israel. You see, God, of course, is unlike us. He, he needs no rest. You know, our energy has limitations. It's, it's finite. But his energy is infinite. And while this pilgrim is exerting a lot of energy, you know, hiking, and needing to stop under the shade to take rest and sleep at night, God is there the whole time. The whole time. Never slumbering, always keeping, watching over his beloved children. You know, God is working and moving, working tirelessly for us as we live this pilgrim life. You know, as I said, uh, one of the uh, symptoms of COVID that I've been battling has been fatigue. It's not something that I'm used to, but even at my best, uh, I'm a fragile person. You know, go a few nights without optimum sleep and you start to see the erosion of my energy and mood. You know, we're a fragile people. We, we need rest. Uh, we need to stop. We need Sabbath. We need to slow down. But as Jesus said in John chapter 5, the Father has been working until now. You know, his rest on that seventh day was a rest from creating, uh, but he was still sustaining the galaxies. He has been working. He has been moving. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. And this is beautiful to just think about the God who in his infinite energy works for his children. The God who keeps Israel, he says. Now, how had God kept Israel? I mean, that's a question that we should ask of verse 4. If God is tirelessly working for us, like he tirelessly worked for Israel, how is he doing that? Or how did he do that? That will help us understand how he'll do it today. Well, first of all, God kept Israel as a people group. You know, a collection of people, a covenant people that he'd made promises to in the past. And he kept them in their slavery in Egypt and delivered them from Pharaoh through the sending of Moses and the parting of the waters of the Red Sea after the events of the Passover and all of the plagues. If you want to hear more about it, we're studying the book of Exodus on Tuesday nights and would love to have you join us online for that study. But God was faithful to preserve his people. And I think in a sense, we have to remember and confess that God, he works tirelessly to keep his people group, his church today. 
Uh, this is an important uh, lesson for us to internalize because, you know, quite frankly, I believe that we're heading into, in the West, into a period of time where the church is going to be less and less tolerated and uh, looked down upon, and I think there will be systematic efforts to expunge the church from society and public discourse and, and thought. And there will be some who are successful at making inroads, at pushing back on that uh, agenda, uh, but many believers are just simply going to need to run towards each other and to trust that God is tirelessly working to preserve his people and that he's going to, at the very least, have a remnant that he will tirelessly work and watch over. We're going to have to figure out how to be uh, an exilic kind of people. Like the Israelites who had to live in ancient Babylon, so Christians today are going to have to learn more and more how God tirelessly works and preserves his people even when they aren't in a favored position. But secondly, God also kept Israel, not just the people group, but the man. There was an original man named Israel. His name was Jacob, but God changed his name to Israel. And Jacob was preserved by God as an individual. His brother Esau wanted to kill him, but God preserved him. God protected him. And when he was on the run, God showed up in marvelous ways in Jacob's life. Namely, at the beginning of his life, when he first ran from Esau, at the place called Bethel, the, the house of God, God showed up in a dream or a vision and showed Jacob the angels of God ascending and descending upon a ladder. And Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was just sleeping, and God was alive and working in his life. And I think that Psalm 21 has this imagery in mind. That God is keeping his pilgrims in a similar way. That even when we're sleeping, even when we're on the run, even when we have limited resources or energy or character, God is alive and working. So God works tirelessly for us. But number three, I want to say this. God perpetually shades you. Number three, God perpetually shades you. For that, let's read verse 5 and 6 again together. It says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. God perpetually shades you, is my point from these two verses. You see here in this part of the song, the priest continues on his song of promise and he says a little bit more about the keeping power of God. Not only does God not sleep, but here he tells us God himself is shade for the pilgrim. He shades the pilgrim from the heat of the midday sun as they journey towards Jerusalem. And that's beautiful. That's not a difficult one for us to imagine. You know, this guy's been climbing and traveling on his way to Jerusalem, 
The journey would have taken a few nights, and, and God is providing the shelter. God is the shade for this pilgrim, for this worshiper. Uh, but then he goes on and says that God pr provides protection from the moon by night. Now this is an interesting one for us to consider. Shade from the moon. Now it might be that the psalmist is simply saying God will protect you at all times. Night and day, sun and moon, God will watch over you. But in ancient times, the moon had ominous connotations. Uh, many people thought of the moon as something that affected the mind. You know, think of our word lunacy as an example of that ancient thought. So perhaps the singer means something more like this. God will keep you from the exhaustion of the journey but also from the mental perils, the mental attacks that are attached to the pilgrim life. And we would confess the pilgrim life is one that is filled with mental peril. You know, there's, there's mental pressure that comes with being a believer. I'm sorry if somebody told you otherwise. You know, there is peace that we receive from God, the war, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, is over with, with God. We are at peace with God. The enmity no longer exists. We are brought into the family of God. And in a sense, that leads to the greatest rest that the human mind can experience. So much of the anxiety of our modern day exists because people are out of step with God and in some cases are working so hard to suppress the truth of God, according to Romans 1. And that effort creates anxiety, unrest within the mind. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we are living in some of the most anxious stress-filled days in humanity's existence. So peace does come from our relationship with God. But when you're walking with God, there is at times a pressure upon the mind itself. I often think of what Paul the Apostle said when he listed out his various forms of suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And they were great painful sufferings that he endured, shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonments. But the final thing that he said was, and besides all of this, my deep concern for the churches. You know, there's just a pressure that the disciple goes through, a new love and affection that the disciple has adopted. And it's costly. It's costly to care about this world, to care about the lost, to care about his church. But what the pilgrim is hearing in this part of the song is that God, <clears throat> he is watching over us, perpetually shading us in the midst of all of those perils. Now let me give you one last point today. Number four, 
God will bless you forevermore. God will bless you forevermore. Listen to this in verse 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Here, the priest singer sings to the pilgrim or to the disciple or to the worshiper and tells them that God always and at all times will bless them as they take their pilgrimage. And some of these promises sound effusive and extravagant to us, you know, a little over the top, you know, like maybe this is just psalmic flattery or something like that, you know. God will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He'll keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Could this really be? Is it really true that God will bless us forevermore? You know, will God keep us from all evil? Or has the singer merely just gotten carried away a little bit and is making promises that God cannot possibly keep? Now, on one hand, we know as believers that the Christian life is not one without suffering. You know, our great hero, Jesus Christ, bore intense suffering for us when he endured the agony of the cross in order to substitute himself for our sin, to atone for the sin of the world. And when he sent out his disciples, he sent them out into a life of suffering. You know, we understand that it takes pain to experience many of the blessings of the church. You know, we don't expect to evangelize or make disciples without a bit of hurt. We get it. It will be costly. Jesus told us to take up our cross and follow him. Paul said that persecution has been promised for the godly life, 2 Timothy 3.12. And as I alluded to earlier, trials have been held out as a path towards growth and character in places like James, verse, uh, James 1, verse 2 and following. So our psalmist is not promising a life without pain. But our singer is promising God's faithful help in seeing the pilgrim through the perils of pilgrimage. You know, the sun and the moon would not overcome him. The miles and the roads would not overtake him. Robbers hidden in the hills would not ultimately defeat him. Injuries and blisters would not ultimately stop him. If he, if he set his heart on Jerusalem for worship, then uh, God would get him to Jerusalem for worship. And, of course, we don't take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for worship. We live the disciple life in our own cities and spaces in time. And the promise that God is making is that as you go through the narrow gate, and as you walk the difficult way, as you adopt the disciple life, that's in fact what we've been talking about in the Gospel of Mark. I've entitled the whole study of Mark's Gospel, Follow 
the servant savior. And we've been hearkening back to the words of Jesus, to his disciples over and over again, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We're trying to discover what it looks like to follow Jesus, uh, to be allegiant to Jesus. And as we walk that road, as we live that life, we need help. And what the psalmist is telling us is that God, he will, as we walk that road, he will bless us forevermore. God will supernaturally involve himself in our lives to keep our going out and our coming in. He will get us to the destination. So this psalm helps us see the faithfulness of God as we prioritize him and walk in the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, let us not be those who make the Christian life anything different than the Bible says it is. Let us not be those who try to reorder it or redefine it to make it easier or more palatable to the culture and society that we're living in. That's a fool's errand and a game that will never end. Instead, be a person who takes the book for what it is, the word of God, and says, Lord, I want to walk in your ways. I want to walk in your truth. And I trust that as the journey gets harder and harder, I will experience the help, the strength, the power of God. I love you, church. I'm praying for you. Thank you for praying for me, especially in this little season that I'm in right now. And I hope you have a beautiful Christmas season. I'll see you soon.